Welcome to Loyal's Book Club, a podcast dedicated to dissecting and discussing Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series, The Wheel of Time. And while we're here, I just want to say, uh, Happy Pride Month, you filthy animals! Yeah, how much more? How much more pride do we have? I've I've lost all sense of time. So this Pride Month has have, has both felt long and very very short. We only have I think two three days left of June, so now. July is LGBT Wrath Month, which makes sense because I'm going to have to go to JordanCon, which is Georgia, in the humidity. So I will be wrathful about that. Yeah, make sure you don't so, get a perm ahead of time. Yeah. I know how you Darn love it, your there perms. Goes my, I know. Um, ever since I saw Legally Blonde, I've been wanting to get a perm. So. You know, I feel like you do that after any movie you watch with Lindy Cardellini. You just, you follow her. To, I remember when you had that Velma phase when Scooby-Doo came out for a while. Bold of you to assume it was just a phase and not a lifestyle. <laughs> Bold of you to assume that. Bold of you to assume that I have not lived my life based on the model of Linda Cardellini. I did not say her name right, did I? No, I think I think you got it. Our, our patron saint, the one who watches over us. Miss Cardellini. Yes. yes. Pour one out. But sadly, we're not here to talk about Linda Cardellini. No, that's a different um, podcast. No, that is our Linda Cardellini uh, tribute podcast. Uh, tune in, guys. Our Lin- our Italian cooking slash Linda Cardellini uh, podcast called uh, Tetrazzini with Linda Linda Ked. You know, I can't say the name anymore. I don't know the name. In which we Tetrazzini in which with... we dissect and discuss Italian recipes that Dalen is cooking for the first time. <laughs> with a cardboard cutout of Linda Cardellini. Yes, as our third co-host. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't speak. And then uh, third episode, we're gonna get we're gonna get shut down to copyright infringement. But you know what? Hey, worth it. That's worth how it the is ride. In this yeah. No, but today we are uh, doing something a little special. We're recording both episodes 15 and 16 today. Um, So very eventful chapters. Um, So why not let's just jump in with uh, chapter 32, questions to be asked. So you are a uh, parent, Stan, and what did you think of this chapter? Because it's, or what did you think of these two sequences of chapters that we get in this episode yeah through and through i definitely am i I stand parent with all my heart and uh for a while here i was getting annoyed with him i'm not gonna lie i was uh you know getting some distance i was uh wanting a a little less pov from him i was i was getting a little tired of his of his uh but i will say these uh these next couple of chapters actually saved that single-handedly for me i think we got in a lot more information. We got a lot more stuff filling in. A lot more stuff is making sense and feeling three-dimensional. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, showing, not telling in these in these chapters. And I really, really liked it. Oh, yeah. So, because we're starting to get from uh, these two chapters, parents stepping into a leader role. So, they've left uh, the sick house where they were staying and... Loyal is sadly left behind to keep overwatch Alana. Now, Alana needs to be added to the sus list because I think Viren also says something along those lines to not trust Alana. Yeah, 100% agree. Whenever somebody drops that, uh, I don't don't trust the person we're talking about. I also don't trust the people who said it. So uh, Viren is, is very much still on my list of I'm... I don't necessarily suspect 100%, but I refuse to be surprised if that turn takes a turn. Yeah, because this 
I don't know. She's such a mysterious person. She's always writing something down. And she, in this chapter, Perrin kind of gets a weird feeling from her because she's been paying attention to his hammer, which is totally different from what Gaul and Fail have been doing, but that's a different hammer. Um, so they leave uh, Emmonsfield and they start making their way out to Watch Hill, which is where the Luans, Matt's mother and sisters are. And this chapter really kind of sets the scene of what's going to be probably the rest of Perrin's arc for this book, because they get to the farm where uh, Jack Alcine has been keeping a couple other nearby families after their farm has been burned down. And Perrin kind of gives like a rousing sort of speech. Um, you know, he tells them, I'm not a dark friend, but I did kill a couple of white cloaks. And, you know, it's a very quick chapter and it segues into chapter 33, A New Weave in the Pattern, because we meet Lord Luke, who was introduced to us by name only a couple chapters ago. Um, we get the sense that he gives off very Gilderoy Lockhart vibes in that like very bravado sort of sense. But what was your kind of gut instinct uh, when we meet him in chapter 33? A new weave in the pattern. Yeah, uh, you know, kind of the all bark, no bite kind of bits uh, very much could feel like this is a somebody's puppet or somebody's means to an end. But I don't think this guy is the guy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he he's a hunter of the horn, but it's kind of like, OK, what else can you do? You know, well, it's great, too, because I feel like it, it colors out that little section of it, because all these hunters of the horn, you know, kind of when we get little glimpses of them. We either get Fail, who's got some serious skills and, you know, can take care of themselves just fine. But the impression I get more often than not are that these are would-be C-list level heroes. You know, some people who yeah. can adventure, they can survive, but don't necessarily have the knack for it or, you know, are to there in themselves or anything. And that's that's what I got with Luke a lot. They come off as... I read a couple stories and now I'm ready to go out into the world and now I can face it. Yeah. But there's a reason there's why some... the series doesn't revolve around them. <laughs> yeah. And there's something suspicious about Luke. I think that's kind of given from the jump because there's a couple of interactions that he has at first. Uh, so this is when Luke is just coming in um, at his first glance of Viren's smooth cheeked face Luke stiffens slightly, eyes flickering to her hands so quickly many would not have noticed. He very nearly dropped his embroidered gloves. Plump and plainly dressed, she might have been another farm wife, but clearly he knew an isolated, ageless face when he saw one. So, any takeaways from that? Because it's it's such a subtle gesture, but Perrin notices. Right. Do you think Luke is hiding something? Oh, yeah. Like, he's definitely had a run-in with the Aes Sedai before. He's, you know, again, I, I don't take away that he's an adventurer, you know, a hunter after the horn and stuff. He's probably gotten into many of his own adventures for sure. And I, I would bet money that at least one of those sideways adventures, one of the adventures that didn't go so well, involved some, uh, some Aes Sedai action. But then we get his reaction to Perrin. And he says... He gave a start at the sight of Perrin's face. Shock flashed in his eyes. It was all gone in a moment, masked behind lordly haughtiness, except for a wild fluttering at the corner of one eye. The trouble was, it made no sense. 
It was not his yellow eyes that took Luca back. He was sure of that. More as if the fellow knew him somehow and was surprised to see him here, but he had never met this Luke before in his life. More than that, he would have bet that Luke was afraid of him. No sense at all. Yeah, you know, it's a blind bet for me, but I gotta go with, it's gotta be wolf dreams. It's gotta be, you know, Luke entered that dream world and ran into Perrin and Perrin doesn't quite remember it or something. Do you think maybe Luke is Slayer? Maybe, but I mean, if if so, it's, it's a brilliant cover because I just don't quite buy it. Like there's not enough savvy there. Um, but I don't think so. I think either, yeah, either a wolf dream and something happened in there, maybe Slayer, but I wouldn't, I don't know. Uh, or, or there's something very, you know, familiar about Perrin, whether he's, you know, uh, been told descriptions of him or heard stories or something. And, and you know, there's a possibility that Perrin's uh, reputation has traveled a, a far bit further than he has himself. Yeah, I mean... Plus, Lord Luke has traveled around. Maybe he's been near some white cloaks or someone who's heard of Taviran. Yeah. And, I mean, the story of the Dragon Reborn and some dude with the yellow eyes kind of stands out. And I think maybe it's also, I'm in this village. Why is this dude with the yellow eyes in an Aes Sedai year? So right. And I will... Maybe I- there is... Yeah, I will give this to like the hunters of the horn. They they must be steeped in you know the the mythicals of the land. You know there there's a ton of research and tales and stories that you you listen to if if you're a hunter of the horn. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's got a, a fair bit of that you know old magic knowledge, the old world and stuff like that. All right, all right. So Perrin gives this sort of really rousing speech to the two rivers people because they tell him oh well lord luke said if we stand on the roofs that'll give us great time to see if the trollocs and white cloaks are coming and parents like okay and like what about fighting and they're kind of like well lord luke said not to do that and so parent kind of starts poking holes in luke's general persona and he kind of rants the two rivers people of like look you can't just sit here the trollocs do not care that you don't fight or anything like that what is going to happen is they will kill you and it's the same with the white cloaks it's like you guys think that uh the luans and the cawthons are going to be the only ones that get kidnapped no you guys are next and they will do worse yeah. to you. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I want to call it almost uncharacteristic of Perrin to take this type of stance. But at the same time, you know, we, we kind of see this triple parallel with, you know, this kind of triangular thing with the boys where Rand has answered his call to duty. He's very much forging the path ahead. Matt kind of feels accidentally enveloped and can't get out of it. And I think for Perrin, it, it keeps coming to him and there's not quite a refusal, but, but you know, very much he finds himself more situationally a leader than, than personally one. And it, it's kind of cool to see him actually step up a fair bit and to take some of that on himself. Oh, yeah. And Epiphania in the chat pointed out a great line. So because it's Emmonsfield knowledge of we can rebuild, we can retry, we can just... He notes that after the Winter Night attack, Emmons Field kind of just looks as it once did. But he points to a newborn child and goes, can you rebuild that? Mm-hmm. You can rebuild a farm. Thank you, Epiphania. 
you can rebuild a farm, you can rebuild, you can replant, you can't rebuild your family. And so that kind of spurs them on to leave their farm and to go to Emmonsfield. And he goes, we have to do this. We, if we stick together, we can fight and we can do this. And of course, everyone's like, we're farmers. Like, what do we know about this? But bro, this is a Wendy's. Yeah, like, man, this is a Wendy's. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's literally that reaction. Everyone's just like, fuck. But again, as Varen notes, there's a sort of pool of Tavirin that works to parents' benefit. And that's when she tells him to stay away from Alana. Right. Which, I mean, my suspicion and your suspicion last episode was she's going to bond Perrin against his will. And I think, I mean, because Vera notes that while not every Aes Sedai is evil and has malevolent schemes in their heart, a lot of Aes Sedai have plans. And they could see a Tavirin weaving as a perfect thing to help out in their plans. And so for the fact that Varen came to this side of the Westlands with Varen, with, with Alana, she doesn't seem to trust her, but also doesn't give a reason to trust her, Varen herself. You know, it's kind of like a, you have to rely on the trust me, we can do this. Yeah, no, it's 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 a very definitive, you know, when we go back to the first book and kind of everybody's perception uh, to the Aes Sedai before we actually get to know one personally, it's always like, don't trust them, you know, whatever they yeah. say can be totally taken out of context. And it is it is very cool to see that still very much alive and still very much a, uh, a part of all of this. Yeah, because I think even though they've been traveling with an Aes Sedai for a full year, there's no reason to trust them because Moraine hasn't exactly been honest with them, but it kind of was like that. I saved your life. And it's like, great. We get a reconciliation with Perrin and Fael, uh, as they leave the house. Um, because when they first got to Jack Alcine's farm, we meet Will Alcine, who's supposed to be this real pretty boy that Perrin gets a little jealous of, like, he sees Fael smiling, and he comes over and goes like, "Hey, Will, how are you?" And Will's just like, oh, "Look, I'm, I'm not even walks. I'm not even written into the series, and I was feeling jealous, so totally yeah. justified." Also, also, I'm sorry, I forgot about this. We need to give Parent a high and hearty fuck you for this moment right here. Hold on, hold on, because you know what? Please, my bo- like, my boy is trying so hard. Please. Oh, oh, no, no, no. He didn't need to try hard to say this. Just, Hold on. Just let him off no. the hook just this once. He's still a young boy, please. Excuse me. No, he's not. He doesn't deserve it? this. Where is it? He deserves it for this. Perrin looked past the stout, smiling woman. Then his head whipped back. When he had left the two rivers, Layla Dern had been a slim girl who could dance any three boys into the ground. Only the smile and the eyes were the same. He shivered. There had been a time when he had dreamed of marrying Layla, and she had returned the feeling somewhat. The truth was, she had held on to it longer than he had. Luckily, she was too entranced with her baby and the even wider fellow by her side to pay attention to him. Perrin recognized the man with her too, Natalie Lewin. So Layla was a Lewin now. Odd, Nat could never dance. Thanking the light for his escape, Perrin looked around for Fael. Excuse me. Excuse me. As if... 
Perrin is only attractive because of his beard and his muscles. Who is he to go, oh, thank God I got away from her. Shame she's fat now. Like, excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah, it's like, not a... It's you not are a, lucky. Not a great look. Uh, but at the very least... Matt what would I, never. What I, what I can say confidently, though, is uh, even though she doesn't know he feels that way, the, the best revenge is a life well lived. And I get the feeling that Perrin won't ever know the joys of a normal life like that uh i'm actually through these couple bits of reading and stuff i've got the feeling that you know while he might have a partner in fail i'm actually predicting that she dies at some point in the series um i've got a feeling that that he hit that so hard because he's never going to have anything like that i don't think he's gonna have a marriage a kid any of those good things about life I, I I don't think he's gonna get it. Man, there goes our chance of seeing Parent with a dad bod. <laughs> All right, so you think Fayil's gonna croak? I think so. I think I think it's gonna okay. be a battle. I think she's gonna die. Not you know, for for any reason except for you know collateral damage and character narrative. All right. Um. So. He's convinced everyone to go. Sorry, we jumped back a bit, but now we're back. Um, Jack Alcine is like, all right, we're leaving. Watch these four boys. And so Will Alcine, Dan Alcine, who has a big nose, and Robert Jordan will not let you forget that Dan Alcine has a big nose. Tell Lewin and Daniel Lewin. Also, this is just a fun fact. Um, Daniel Lewin, who is just here now, he was supposed to, in the original draft of Eye of the World, was supposed to be part of that party that left with uh, Moraine and Lan. But know. his wife, Harriet, I believe said something along the lines of, no one wants to read a character that boring, and had him move it. I was like, thank you, Harriet. Thank you, Harriet. <laughs> Some, sometimes the the a very to-the-point critique, and you know what? A good call, ultimately. Yeah. Harriet Jordan, knew, Harriet McDougal knew her stuff. Thank you, Harriet. So we see Perrin, again, forming more of a leader role as he's like, fine, you guys can come with me. And they begin their journey towards Watch Hill. And along the way, they recruit more boys and 13 more people join them. And so... Well, it's kind of cool because um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of an echo to you know I know it's two rivers, but it used to be called something, and they they used to be a, a bit of a land of warriors. And I think if I remember correctly, one of the the big tales of them is them basically having a last stand to defend their their land. Yeah, that was uh, the last battle of Manethrin during the Trolloc Wars. Moraine mm-hmm. says King Amon and Queen Eldrin. King Amon died, and Queen Eldrin essentially channeled all she could in uh the power and burned an army of trollocs like she caused so much damage that the trolloc population never fully recovered and it's been a couple thousand years Mm -hmm. a couple hundred yeah so i thought it was uh pretty slick to kind of throw back there like you know getting the the villagers together in this little band of resistance uh it's pretty cool to see yeah, and it's like Moraine said, and a lot of people said, the old blood runs deep in Manetherin. Exactly. So, you know, and it's kind of this, like, I don't know why, this 
in Lord of the Rings, the hobbits never like rise up and fight, but it's almost this kind of like, we're starting to see this shift from this bucolic little like farming town where, you know, the most violence that ever happened was uh, a mur- someone murdered her husband and there's like wrestling, but it's not like Tyr or Kyrian or Camelin or Terabon. It's very much tucked away this forgotten place. And we're starting to see these people being taken out of that sense of familiarity like the boys were. And now they're adopting this new sort of uh, way of life that's happening. Um, So these new boys' parent kind of wrangles under control because Will Alcine and all them are trying to be like, Oh, like trying to take charge because they're like a year older than Perrin and Perrin's like okay we're not having that shit and even Tam and Abel start to notice that he's calling them by their first name they don't call him lad anymore mm-hmm. like Perrin's really like and Fayil's just watching this just kind of going mm-hmm. Perrin, Perrin straight up said look at me I'm the captain now so they get to watch Hill and they get to the White Cliff camp and Perrin splits the group up. He has most of the Ebonsfield boys off to the side saying, I'm going to use you later. And him, the Aiel, and Fael, oh, that rhymed, uh, wait until dark. And uh, there's a cute little moment where Fael makes him a little flower crown, and uh, she puts it on his head, and I think it's Chiad laughs because... It looks like a marriage wreath that the uh, Aiel woman put down. And I'm like, oh. And I wish Perrin had kept it on while they were rescuing the party, but little bitch ass didn't. I'll, I'll commission some some fan art, an, an AU fan art where that's happening. Yes, Perrin all bloody with a flower crown. It'll come soon enough. The show's coming out later this year. We're good. So again, it's another fantastic scene of Perrin, Fael, and the Aiel going into the White Cloak camp and just really nav- successfully navigating it. And it's, I'm like, is it Tavir? I think, I was like, oh, it might be Taviran, like, really helping him. But I also think maybe it's just pure skill of the Aiel and of Fael with her knives. And so they managed to rescue the party and get them out. And he has Tam, Abel, and Viren and Tomas take them to, and Fael as well, go to a nearby farmhouse, keep them there. And the White Cloaks have been alerted to their presence. And it kind of sucks because we're left on a cliffhanger because, as you'll see in this episode, in the next episode, we don't get back with Perrin. So last we leave off with Perrin and the way uh, chapter 33 ends is he goes, we're going to cause a diversion. Viren's going to make it rain. And next, we're hunting Trollocs as the boys take off. And so, again, I think where Perrin was starting to dip for me, and he dipped when he body-shamed Layla, um, he's really starting to come into his own. And I think, you know, he says, I'm just a blacksmith. I'm just doing what's right. But I think he's slowly starting to embrace the old blood, you know? Yeah, I, def- I definitely think, you know, because, again, I think the him answering the call has happened a lot slower than definitely Rand and, and possibly even Matt because Matt still might be, you know, kind of under the impression that he has a way out or something, but even he's coming around to the, you know, the idea of, like, I there are places I need to be and I will be there. 
yeah. Perrin is much more stubborn and very much it feels like he was the one that that took a while to, you know, rest into that direction a bit. So so it is it is nice to to see him kind of own that a little bit and to to grow up a little bit. Yeah. Cause I think as I used to think as Perrin would be the mom friend. You agree. But I think Yes. I think Matt I used to, but now it kind of makes more sense. Matt would be the mom friend, it almost feels like. You know, he has that in him, and if Matt was on a dry month because he acted too much like an asshole the last time drinking, he would become the mom friend. But he's too much of an instigator in the group. See, I have Epiphania on my side. Matt is the mom friend. So if if you all agree, if you think Perrin is the mom friend, let me know now if you think Matt is the mom friend. If you think Rand is the mom friend, the mom friend on Xanax, but the mom friend nonetheless, let me know. Rand is, you know, while probably not the, you know, general mom friend, if you're all drunk at 3 a.m. and need to just find some food, I would I would say Rand is the guy that would find the only local place open. That's Matt, because that's luck. No, no, no. If you got drunk... Rand would be the friend that stormed away, that got angry or just wanted to be alone. And it's like 2.30 in the morning and you're like, where the fuck is Rand? And then you see he posted on Snapchat. He walked all the way home from WeHo and he like is by himself and he just posted a like fucking Kid Cudi lyric or whatever. And you're like, Matt would be the friend that I feel like if you text him like, hey, can you pick me up? He would complain the entire time that you made him get up, pick you up. But then if you suggested McDonald's, he'd be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> but um, Perrin did take a while to grow up. And I think there is something about him that seems to project maturity because I think he is the strong and silent type. But I think emotionally he is not very mature. And I think what is it with the men in this series and uh, like any empathy shown towards them? They're like, what the fuck does that mean? You <laughs> well, know? It, might, it might be a little on the nose, but I do think Perrin is modeled after a, a puppy a little bit with the two big paws and kind of like when the puppy is grown up, but they're still like however old, like two years old. So they've got the mentality of a puppy, but they've got like the big dog body. Feels yeah. like, you know, again, a little on the nose, but we are seeing Perrin turn from a puppy into a wolf a little bit more and more. I propose the idea of calling Army of Two Rivers Boys Perrin's Puppies. <laughs> Perrin and his puppies. Definitely seconded. And since we are the only uh, two here, I, I do believe 100% majority vote wins. Yeah. Perrin's Puppies and Chafail. Um, So we end on this sort of triumphant note to a really kind of I mean, this is the running theme with the Rand chapters. I mean, my God, this chapter is depressing. So that brings us to chapter 34, He Who Comes with the Dawn. So Rand and Matt are making their way to the top of Che and Dar. Both are injured. And Matt Rand is just like, I, I'm He Who Comes with the Dawn. I can't break the Aiel. I don't want to destroy anybody. And he gets up and... Uh, Kooladin, who is calm and collected, screams, They killed him! They killed Muradin! Look at them! They have weapons! And uh, Bayar comes out of the tents like, Dude, what the fuck? Chill. And Kooladin, like, throws spears at Rand and Matt, but they all land in a perfect circle around them. Like, Kooladin is really testing. Like, 
Cooladin is the person that when the teacher goes, okay, you have to be quiet. Otherwise, it's five minutes off recess. Cooladin always has to say something. The teacher goes, all right, five minutes off recess. And that's like he nearly gets banned from the Aiel, essentially exiled him and his whole sept. Like the Shido aren't exactly making the best first impression on Rand. Yeah, like, uh, definitely a hothead, but definitely appreciated just for how uh, easy it is uh, character-wise to to keep him separate from from everyone else, especially because we are getting introduced to so many Aiel in such a, a short period of time. Uh, yeah. I, uh... I kind of agree with them though. I, I sympathize. I totally sympathize. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of, there's a lot of blind trust that needs to kind of go on right now that Rand is the dragon reborn that we do trust the prophecies and stuff, but on a human level, that's a lot of, that's a lot of shit to process and to take in just as a human. And we do get a little bit of context because uh, bear, is it, it's, is it, I know like asking you the first time reader, is it, because there's Jarrett Byar, so it's not Byar. It's so not Byar. Bear. That's how I. That's how Bear? I interpreted it. Bear. So, oh, so uh, a lot of the chat, thankfully, are saying like Bear. Um, ah. No, I totally get the human aspect behind Cooladin, and we do get a little bit of uh, context a little bit later on from Ruar. Um, so Bear comes along and goes show the signs and Rand unbuttons his arm, his sleeve shows the dragon around his arm. And she's like, the, all of the signs fool. And then he, so Rand is named Karakarn. He is he who comes with the dawn. And what I love, what Robert Jordan does with any chosen, with what he's been doing with the chosen one trope, none of it has been this, ah, huzzah. Like with tear, you sort of got that. But then, Two weeks later, it's like, all right, how do we kill the Dragon Reborn? Because I don't think he's the real one. And then, really kind of heart-shatteringly with the Aiel, a lot of them look either just dejected, and they just kind of turn away. And Rand even remarks that he's like, this isn't how it happens in the stories. And how it happens is the story. It's like, oh, behold! And everybody starts cheering. No, Um, a lot of... I think you're exactly right. A lot of chosen one tropes are, you know modeled after the anglo-christian story of jesus and yes. you know i think we tend to look so much at the the reverence and the glorification of him but we forget that if we are you know taking that metaphor and yes i am going to say metaphor not to offend anyone but if we're taking that jesus metaphor and the story of the bible there were tons of people who didn't like him either and made his life fucking hell and I yeah. really do appreciate that that's kind of the angle we're getting here. There's a lot of challenge to the Dragon Reborn. It's not a exactly. it's not a second coming. It's it's there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of challenge. There's a lot of distrust and even, you know, just non-belief about it. I'm I'm finding it quite refreshing myself. Yeah. And Rand, when he looks at his arms, he speaks a bit of the uh Koreathon cycle, and he says, Twice and twice shall he be marked, twice to live and twice to die. Once the heron to set his path, twice the heron to name him true, once the dragon for remembrance lost, twice the dragon for the price he must pay. And so he goes, okay, for remembrance lost, it was the history of the Aiel. And he's like, what is the price that I must pay? So we're left with a lot of questions. And I think it doesn't help that we find out 
Brandon, Matt, and Moraine and Avienda have been gone for seven days. They've been in there for a week, and Rand's freaking out. Everyone's freaking out. We found out the uh, Wise Ones had to hold Land down from not going into Ruidian. And Land's like, I eventually settled down. And one of the Wise Ones goes, let it of course a man will make himself sound more rational than he was i'm like i love it it's great um so we're kind of left with what is the price that rand will have to pay uh i think i want to open a discord channel that says unanswered questions because this chapter leaves us with a lot of unanswered questions but uh, before we get to those unanswered questions we have to uh we have to twist the knife and uh Rand's chest a little bit. Um, so, uh, do, 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 do. Um, so Rand is, Rand represents change. The Aiel know this, the Wise Ones know this, Ruark knows this. And Rand kind of tells the Wise Ones, because he asks Ruark, hey, did you see the same thing that I did? And they're like, you can't talk about that. And Rand goes, well, you know what? I'm changing what's going to talk about be talked about. And you know, it seems like, uh, man, Melanie, Melaine, I should know this, but one of the wise ones, she seems one of the more hostile towards Rand. But um, we continue on to go into this, uh, the wise one's tent. Uh, Lan and Ruark are invited, even though normally it's just the wise ones. And we learn that the clan chiefs, they, they see, the collective thing they see is the agreement of Ruidian, which is where... The agreement that the clan chiefs must go into the last Terangrio and the sharing of water, which is where the peace with Kyrian occurred. Um, like since the entering of the threefold land and the breaking of the world, there was peace with the Kyrian. Um, and they had broken the peace when they cut down Avendorlera, and that started the Aiel War. And um, that's why a lot of Outlanders are just not trusted. That's So we get why Kooladin doesn't trust Rand and why in general there is just this sense of you're not born of the blood, you know? You weren't raised here. Melane, Melane, Melane. There's a lot of names. There's a lot of people. So There's a lot um, of names and there are a lot of original spellings in this series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so we're just gonna struggle on through um so it's essentially decided that the wise ones uh, that everyone will have to go to are gonna go to cold rocks hold and then continue meet the clan clan and sept chiefs at alcare doll which means the golden bowl that thankfully matt translates um and the wise ones say we can talk to them in their dreams but it's gonna take some time and then the knife goes into Rand's chest because we learn about his parents. And it's heart-wrenching. Um, we first learn about his mother. Um, her, she was a wetlander named Shail, and she had made her way into the waste. And the Ayo kind of kept an eye on her until she finally like couldn't go any further. And uh, we learned her name wasn't Shail. Um, all they really knew about her was she was from the wetlands. She had a husband that she didn't love, and she's left a son behind. So 
we now have two unanswered questions to add. Who is Rand's half-brother? Who is Shail? Do you have any guesses? Any, like, let me throw that out there. And I got enough. This is going on, like, the fourth whiteboard in the room I have, where it's just question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> I definitely, definitely trying to uh, keep them in the forefront of my mind as much as I can, because I do feel like we are as close to this mystery as we're going to be for a while being in the, you know, the IO waste and everything, or, you know, close enough to these cultures. But I really, I really dug this choice in general that this was, you know, because I feel like more often than not, it's always some absurd connection into the world at large or something, you know, like, yeah, I'm all for the the parentage and the lineage being a mystery. And then when it is unveiled, it's something huge, but I kind of love how, She's kind of she's kind of a nobody. Yeah. There's no special ah her. It's this random woman but who wandered into the waste, but it's kind of nice. She got adopted as a maiden of the spear of the Tardad Aiel. Um and then uh so we find out also that the reason she went to the Aiel waste is because an Aes Sedai named Gitara Moroso had said that if you don't go to the threefold land, disaster will fall upon your people and essentially the world. So she essentially risked everything to go out there and she lived a decent life. I mean, she adopted the Aiel culture and she fought with them and she ultimately died on the slopes of Dragon Mountain. Rand was found by Tam, but they say Rand looks very much like her. Uh, and not his father, Janduin. And again, Tardad Aiel plays such a huge role in Rand's life. Like, we have Ruark, we have Amis, and like, it's no coincidence that both his parents, it feels like no coincidence that his parents were from the same uh, sept as Amis and Ruark, who are kind of like, sort of pillar figures right now for both Rand and for like Egwene. Yeah. And again, you know, I've said it before, I'm sure I'll say it again in future episodes. It very much is that, that pattern of the thread, you know, weaving in and out threads, crossing each other, all these connections being made way before, you know, their, their present (laughs) relevancy. And Rand even goes on a little bit of a thought process when talking about, um, the tree killers, the Kyrian, thousands of years ago, he thinks about how one tiny little action spurred in with everything to where they are. And he's like, what will something that I do or parent or Matt do like three farm boys who now are going to change the course of history. And Varen also says that to Perrin. She says, you are to Varen, you are changing the two rivers. And she's like, I'm wondering where this will go. And so I'm also, yeah, my big, I think a question I want to add to the uh, unanswered question is what is Varen writing down and what does she know about Alana and should we trust her, you know? So we find out more. Janduin was a clan chief. He was the youngest one and he had a very, like, he was very smart, very, he ended a lot of blood feuds and he seems very to Varen to me. Like, I don't think he was, but the way they talked about him, it was very like, he was able to end these blood feuds and he led four clan chiefs to the Aiel War. You know, it's very, we see kind of where Rand gets it. 
I think it's Janduin's genetics and also with Tam Thor, who left and was a fighter uh, for the Panions in Iliad. So Rand is like, so they're talking about them in the past tense. They're dead. And they go, so we're going to twist the knife even more. So Shail was pregnant when the Aiel War was happening. And Janduin tried to go, do not fight. Like, come on, like, let's not do this. But she did, and she was killed. And Janduin really couldn't uh, forgive himself for that happening. And so he went up to the Blight and where he was fighting Shadowspawn. And this is where it gets interesting. He was killed by a man who reminded him of Shail, who he said he looks like her. And so he refused to raise the spear, and he was killed. So Rand kind of takes the time to process this. You know, he's not really eating all that much. But we do get a really funny moment with uh, Malayne. Um, it's one of my favorite fucking moments. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um... Um, so, Egwene here, uh, so, Rand gets this full story, and Egwene comforts him, and Rand's like, why is she so sad? It's like, she's being nice, dude! She feels bad for you, you just found out both your birth parents are dead, but, so Rand kind of just drifts off a little bit, and Rand turns to Amis, and essentially goes, so, why am I still alive? Why are you letting me live still? Like, if I'm supposed to break you, why aren't you, like plotting with Kool-Aidin to have me killed. And um, Bear says, "In uh, everyone thinks they know the prophecy of Ruidian, but what they know is what wise ones and clan chiefs have told them for generations. Not lies, but not the whole truth. The truth might break the strongest man. She glanced at Matt, then said, in this case, the whole truth, the truth known only to wise ones and clan chiefs before this, is that you are our doom our doom, and our salvation. Without you, no one of our people will live beyond the last battle, perhaps not even until the last battle. That is prophecy and truth. With you, he shall spill out the blood of those who call themselves Aiel as water on sand, and he shall break them as dried twigs. Yet the remnant of a remnant shall be shall he save, and they shall live. So... It's a rough day for Rand. This is not Rand's. This is not Rand's best day. It's like your family's dead. Your mentor has been in this mysterious city for seven days. Oh, by the way, you're the Aiel's doom in our salvation. So have fun with that. And I completely missed the quote that I wanted to read. Um, <clears throat> so there, Rand is worried about uh, Moraine coming back and. He goes, uh, they seemed to take his refusal calmly enough about eating, but when he suggested returning to Ruidian to look for Moraine and Avienda, for that matter, Malayne exploded. You fool, man. No man can go twice to Ruidian. Even you would not come back alive. Oh, starve if you want to. She threw half a round loaf of bread at his head. Matt caught it out of the air and calmly began eating. Like, I like Matt just, like, pulling the soft part of the bread, just eating it like popcorn, just watching all of this drama go down. Like, ooh, shit, you're gonna break the Aiel? Damn. Damn, that's crazy. Ha <laughs> ha. 
anyway. Yeah. I think so. I think my uh, prediction for this one, because I think I do have okay. one, I think very much like the breaking of the world where it seemed like people just got vaporized. Uh, I've got a feeling Rand's going to do the same thing to the entirety of the Aiel people, except for like three to five of them. So, like three to five, like clans or three to five individuals individuals so you think by the like uh, by the last battle or it's like this is after uh by the last okay. battle i think he's going to essentially physically destroy the aiel people and culture and only a few will remain all right well that is a i don't I don't I don't love making that prediction, but that is like one of my ultimate Death Star style, like the balls on Robert Jordan if he pulled okay. that would be absolutely insane. So I'm, I'm calling that's that gonna one. Be after, uh, that's going to have to be a read and find out. Um, so <laughs> chapter 34 ends with uh, Moraine and Avienda returning. Avienda is dressed in a skirt and a shirt and a blouse, and she looks at Rand like she wants to peel his skin off at any moment. And Matt even says, like, do not turn your back on her. And Rand kind of goes like, oh, it's I think it's because uh, she's no longer made of the spear and how I've been treating Elaine. And, you know, then Moraine returns and she's taking care of the wise ones. And so the chapter ends with Rand saying he's going to break the rules in ways that they don't expect because he's kind of like the forsaken are still there. And like, that's his big, we need to keep going, you know, like we need the clan chiefs. We need to meet at the golden bowl. I know the proper name for it. I am not going to try to say it. <laughs> um, so let's get into our last chapter of this episode, which is chapter 35 sharp lessons, a good, a really good, uh, chapter when robert jordan goes into uh quasi horror it's always really fun no the you know the gore and graphic content of this series so far has been nothing unmanageable and very much plays into the imagination more than the detailing of the writing and i think he nails that where he gives you the premise and lets your your mind kind of fill in the rest of the, you know, if this is true, then what else is true? And again, like the the times I've praised the Patton Fane's POV and kind of the the rough dark spawn stuff we get, I think he does that very yeah. well. And it's a great moment because so Egwene is in Teleran Riyadh. She's in the Stone of Tear and she sees Elaine who is dressed like uh, one of the Windfinders. I mean, full tits out. And then she sees Egwene and is like, oh shit. And so we learn um, Nynaeve and Elaine are two, three days out from Terrabon slash Tanchico. And she kind of gets filled in with Rand and what he's been up to. And then Egwene is suddenly pulled out of the dream and she finds herself in a tent with Amis. And all of a sudden, Amis transforms into this monster and starts like the monster starts pulling Egwene towards her like this like mouth and Egwene is shielded and she's like beating at it trying to get out of it and just as the monster swallows her head she wakes up in the real world and Amis goes you're a very strong channeler you nearly beat my shield 
which is insane because I don't think we've ever seen anyone capable of breaking a shield. I mean, I don't think we've even seen anyone get shielded. Well, actually, no, the uh, Black Sisters in the Stone of Tear. But yeah, the last book. But, uh, but even that, it's it's still very very fresh. You know, the rules aren't aren't too specific yet with that. We just know that you know Amisa is. is well traveled in in the ways of of this and Egwene is still very much learning but again we we keep going back to this about her lots of raw power and potential and ambition there is so much there with Egwene and I think as much as she is a sponge she's also too very too worthless because she's very stubborn she's like look I get it I know I broke my word but I need to meet with them and Amise goes you're gonna braid your hair and you're gonna run you're gonna run ribbon through it because you're going to dress as a little girl. And until you can prove to us that you can be an adult and like keep your word, we're going to treat you like a child. And so Aglaine very much goes, fine. But she doesn't exactly say, well, I'm not going to ever not go into Teleran Riyadh again because I got to meet them, you know? And so Amisa's like, work, you'll braid your hair. And then they go to the sweat tent where. So re- I really, when I read what happens, especially a little bit later in the scene with Moraine, I couldn't wait to know your thoughts and theories. So the scene comes, uh, the uh, Egwene and Amis get to the tent and um, they all, the wise ones, Moraine and Avienda are all talking and they go, we need to get Rand cultured in Aiel culture because he could do something and completely fuck up any meeting with the uh, chiefs and essentially either get people on the Shido side or just get him get himself killed. So they're like, we can't have it be Ruark. And to Avienda's displeasure, she is chosen to be Rand's guide. And she objects. She's like, I'm not going to do it. And they're like, oh, you're not going to do it. You're going to be a child about this. And they're like, why aren't you going to help Rand? And she's like, I don't like him. And they're like, dude, Grow up. Nobody likes him. Yeah, nobody likes me. <laughs> we all don't like him, uh, but it does. It does remind me of a uh, of a certain scene in My Fair Lady where they have to teach her how to speak oh. through the magic of song. Oh my god! <laughs> Avienda and Ruark are the Colonel Pickering and the other one, where the wife, the life of the. Uh, uh, the tear of the maiden is wielded by the spear <laughs> or like uh, the toe of the guy Shan something. It's something there, but yes, essentially Rand is Eliza Doolittle and Avienda is Colonel Pickering. Um, so another unanswered question that comes at the end of this is what did Avienda see in the three rings? And what did Moraine see? Because Egwene notices that Moraine is acting a little strange. Like, she's very cold. And she asks about the memories. She goes, was it bad? Egwene said softly, so as not to disturb the wise ones. Ruidian, I mean. Avienda looked up quickly, but said nothing. The memories fade, Moraine said, just as quietly. She did not look away from her distant vision, and her voice was almost chill enough to take away the heat in the air. Most are already gone. Some I knew already. Others... The, weave wi- the wheel weaves as the wheel wills, and we are only the thread of the pattern. I have given my life to finding the dragon reborn, f- 
finding Rand and seeing him ready to face the last battle. I will see that done, whatever it requires. Nothing and knowing can be more important than that. So Moraine had to have seen something in there, like a, this is what could go wrong or something. But I kind of want to hear, what did you think Avienda saw and what did Moraine see? Yeah, you know, I've actually, I've got no beat on Avienda and what what she saw. Like there's just, there's so much introduction still uh, kind of taking place and stuff. I kind of, it might be easy to rope them in at the same time, but I think she found, I think she saw like some personal loss and sacrifice, you know, for her people and the friends she's made so far. I think it's, I think it's dealing something with that because that's the same thought I have with Moraine. I, you know, one of her big defining character traits is the gravity of her mission. You know, she understands the mission, how to get from A to B and everything that has to be done. And she will, you know, stop at nothing for that to be done. I think it totally got flipped. And I think she saw some real personal shit in there and some real personal failures and, you know, personal losses that are going to have to happen in order for that mission to be complete. Oh, Uh, interesting. Yeah. I think it, I think it involves land. I, and I, I'm going to keep it that vague because I'd hate to be right about any more tragedy involving the two of them because they are some of my favorites. We'll dock that away in our predictions channel, uh, but we will leave the unanswered question in our unanswered channel. Um, And I think this is a good spot to end episode 15. Eric, uh, what are the gold? Who gets the gold star for the day? And are there any color changes? Oh, yeah. Gold star today goes to my boy Perrin. Been waiting to give him a gold star. He's he's growing up a lot. His his character is growing and evolving. And I, I love I love my love my little pear pear. So he gets a he gets the gold star this All right. week. Anybody get a color change? You know what? Everyone. No, no color Ooh. changes this week. Everyone is everyone's marching along just fine everyone's learning everyone's in their little study groups nobody broke sustained reading time it's it was a good week for nice. us it was a good week for nice. us and that's always nice to hear so we want to thank you all for tuning out if you want to listen to us live hear us raw and unedited uh join us on our discord and be sure to follow us on instagram and twitter our personal and our professional account which is this right here and We will see you guys next week. Thank you so much.